Good morning, everybody. We are in Ephesians 5. We're going to be studying verse 22 through 6-9, as you saw in the bulletin. We're going to start reading at 5-18, just for context. So let's read the word of the living God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have had a season of many funerals, seeing many saints across the finish line, and it reminds us of the supreme worth of Christ, how all of the things are left behind. Father, so much of what you do in our lives, you do through the part we have in the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, Lord. As we look into your word and we hear the Apostle Paul teach on living in that body, living in our relationships and the things that you've given us to walk in on this earth, Father, I pray we would see Christ and recognize his great worth and be drawn to him and serve others in these relationships because we are serving Christ. Pray for Tom as he preaches. Give him strength and clarity. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand for the glorious name of Christ. His name we pray. Amen. Good morning. 
We are back in Ephesians, and uh, it's, it's been longer than I thought it would be, <laughs> but there's been much going on. And some of you, uh, when you saw the passage this morning, you, you probably thought, is he actually going to get through all that in one message? And the answer is yes and no, because what we're going to do is we're going to make a, a couple of passes. And our approach this morning is going to be a very big picture pass through this, uh, this longer section of, of Ephesians 5 and 6. I'm going to start by asking you, uh, oh, and so just let me say, don't get worried that we're not going to cover some of the things that you saw in the text that you have a bunch of questions about. We, we will get to a lot of detail in the next few weeks in this uh, passage. I'm going to start by asking you uh, to consider what would you do, or what you would do if you were given a choice between being the king of a vast domain on earth or being the lowliest subject in that same domain. Now, I know some of you, uh, some of you feel so inadequate that you would probably choose the lowly subject role just because you realize that you couldn't possibly pull off being a king. But let's just say for a moment that you had been given everything that you need to be the very best and most effective king, earthly king, that this world has ever seen. Now, which would you choose? Most of us would choose to be the king. What if I said to you, what if I said to you that in God's economy, in God's way of thinking, the very best choice is either. The very best choice is either. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is a paradigm changer. It will rearrange, if you're paying attention to it, it will rearrange everything that you think about leadership and submission. And it will, if you're paying attention, bring you to the, the inevitable conclusion that it is as blessed and exalted a task to follow as it is to lead. And that God has a powerful and eternally valuable place for both of those roles. He has great eternal things to accomplish through both. <laughs> In fact, if we embrace what Paul sets before us in this passage, we will consider any opportunity that God gives us to follow someone else's lead to be every bit as desirable as any opportunity that he gives us to lead someone else. The summary statement in this passage is in Ephesians 5.21. And that, that verse it says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I, I shared with you the last time we were together in Ephesians that there is a pr progression here that in the, in the close context, it begins with one command, and that is be filled with the Spirit. That's the real imperative here. And then there are five subordinate instructions that come from that, that command. Be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject, literally being subject, it's the same kind of clause, to one another in the fear of Christ. So verse 21 is the fifth of five subordinate instructions that come from the command to be filled with the Spirit. Now if you look at those, if if you look at each of those implied commands under the main command, how many of those have to do with what happens in your individual personal life and how many of them have to do with what happens in the body of Christ? They are all about life in the body of Christ. All of them. How many of you, when you think of the filling of the Spirit, think in those terms? It's it's quite unusual for Christians to, to even talk of the filling of the Spirit in terms of the corporate experience of the body of Christ. But that, beloved, that is the key passage in the New Testament on the command to be filled with the Spirit. And it's not talking about personal holiness. It's talking about the life of the body of Christ. And so that should at least get our attention and make us think a little bit. Because, see... What God is after in this passage is not that we will individually be filled with the Spirit. It is that we will build up His church so that His church will be filled with the Spirit. And when He takes these individuals that He fills up with Himself and He fills His body with himself, what happens then is that his body is built up into a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And his church then overflows into the world with power and authority because Christ has filled up his church. And when Christ fills something, he always fills it to overflowing. I challenge you, to really, really take that home and think about it. If you walk away with nothing else, and there's a whole lot else that we're going to get to, but but beloved, we need to see this as God presents it and not as we're prone to take it. Because the life of the body of Christ is this is the power center for God's activity in the world. This is the continuing incarnation of Jesus Christ on earth. Not me. We are each bearers of the Spirit. But the point of that is that we together will powerfully bear the Spirit of God, of Christ in this world. So don't, don't take that point lightly, please. If I, if I had some way to magically just sear that into every heart, I would. Only God can do that. Alright, so, first point is that this is about the Spirit-filled church, not the Spirit-filled Christians. And I, I should say it's not just the Spirit-filled Christian, because God does, He does fill the individual with His Spirit. I'm just saying that's not the focus of this passage. Now, the summary, exhort, the, the exhortation in chapter 5, verse 21, the fifth of the five subordinate instructions, then unfolds into all of chapter 5, verse 22, to chapter 6, verse 9. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is the foundation of everything that Paul then says 
in verse 22 of chapter 5 all the way to verse 9 of chapter 6. Okay? And that's what we're going to talk about today for the rest of our time. The exhortations in 522 to 69 are all about submission, about being subject. And they are also about acting in roles of headship, of leadership in the body of Christ. I will point out that, uh, that many very respected and very good scholars of the Word, teach Bible teachers and authors, have uh, come to the conclusion that the command to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ always works in one direction, not two. And the, the reason they conclude that is because of the specific examples that follow. They point out that that the implicit command to wives to be subject to their husbands is not given to the husbands. It's not that the husbands are to be subject to the wives, it's that the wives are to be subject to the husbands. Likewise, children are called to obey their parents. Parents are not called to obey their children. Things get really messy if, if you flip that around. Slaves are called to be obedient to their masters. Masters are not called to be obedient to their slaves. And so, based on those examples, many have concluded that the, the overriding command in verse 21 is a unidirectional, unilateral command. I get that and I agree with that when it comes to relationships that involve headship and submission, when it comes to what, to God's instructions about who's supposed to lead and who's supposed to follow in the church, in the household, and even in the workplace. And by the way, you can extend that further if you look at other passages like 1 Peter 2 to how we respond to the government. We're supposed to submit. And follow. But <laughs> I don't believe this is an either or proposition. I believe it's one of many both and propositions that we find in Scripture. I believe very strongly that when Paul says, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ, that there is a very important facet of that that always works in both directions. Here's why I believe so it's not just what I want to believe. I looked up all of the nearly 50 one another commands in the New Testament that are directed to believers. Every single one of them, if you set aside 521 for a moment, every single one of them goes in both directions. You have commands like forgive one another, forbear with one another, be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Comfort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Build one another up. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. And the big overriding command, love one another. All of those work in both directions. So, it would seem a little inconsistent to me if I came upon a verse that says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and I leaped to the conclusion that that could only work in one direction. 
And I believe the passage itself tells us that it works in two directions. Because throughout this passage, what you see happening is that Paul starts with the one who is in the subordinate role when it comes to headship and submission, and then he moves to the one who is in the leadership role. And he makes demands of both. And the essential demand that he makes of both is to love sacrificially. Is to deny self for the well-being of the other person in the fear of Christ. That means because we're recognizing that Jesus is our master, that he is the one that we serve. And so it doesn't matter how the other person responds. It matters that he's the one that we serve. And it doesn't matter whether you are in a role of headship or in a role of submission when it comes to subordinating you to the well-being of that other person in service to Christ. Are you with me? Okay. Paul goes to both sides of every relationship that he addresses here, and he does the same thing in other passages. And Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 2 and 3. Again, it's a big deal because it it takes our concept of leadership and it kind of it kind of stands it on its head. And now we begin to see what what God's definition of leadership actually is. And God's definition of leadership is sacrificial service. And if we get that, then why would we choose a leadership role over a submitted role? Why would we think that one of those is more exalted in the eyes of God than the other? The fact is, beloved, being in a situation where you're required to submit to someone is a fast track. If you're paying attention to God's will and God's way, it is a fast track to powerful usefulness to God to display Christ. Because if you do it well... Jesus is all over that. See, we talked about this in the worship this morning. The one who went to the cross to die in our place is the creator of heaven and earth. He's our example of leadership and servanthood. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus was walking with the disciples, finishing up a journey to Capernaum from Caesarea Philippi, and uh, and Jesus uh, asked the disciples what they had been talking about along the way, and they were not anxious to tell him because, <laughs> because what they had been talking about is who among them would be greatest. And, of course, they thought Jesus couldn't hear. And, and if you pay attention to the Gospels, you realize that there was nothing that Jesus didn't hear that they said, even if he didn't hear the words because he knew what was in their hearts. But Jesus said to them, uh, they kept silent, verse, chapter, Mark 9, verse 34, they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed which, with one another which of them was greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, if you're servant of all, doesn't it sound like that means that you are in some Respect, submitting to other people, subordinating yourself to other people. It it certainly does. 
Servanthood transcends every role and every position that God gives us. And so what you find is that the same the same God who through the Apostle Paul tells us that wives must submit to their husbands and not lead their husbands says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither male nor female. He says the same one who says that servants must submit to their masters and masters must not submit to their servants says in Christ there is neither slave nor free man. But we are all one in Christ. I hope this registers with all of us. Our service to to one another transcends every category that differentiates us. There is nothing to keep us from laying down our lives for another Christian. And there is everything to drive us to that sacrificial love. All right. Now, this is all about chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The the big overriding command for all of chapters 5 and 6 is chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a soothing aroma. We talked about that passage before, but that's that's the heart of everything that Paul is now instructing us to do. Walk in love as Christ loved us and as he loved you. And do so to please God. Do so as a sacrifice to God. All right, so self-denying sacrificial love is in one direction in certain contexts, but it's always in both directions when it comes to the requirement that we lay down our lives for one another in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, what does that then imply when sacrificial love... uh, How do we do do this sacrificial love in both directions when only one is the head? How does the, the headship and submission thing kind of come together with this? I believe the very best answer to that is in the foot washing passage in John chapter 13. If you go for a moment to that passage, John chapter 13, what you'll find... Well, let's read it. John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. And as we read this, uh, I think most of you know what happened. This was the night before Jesus was crucified, the night of his arrest. And he, he ate the Lord's Supper with the disciples. He took up a towel and a wash basin and he got down on the ground and he washed their feet. And Peter didn't think that that was a good thing for him to do, but After he washed their feet, listen to what he said, verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me a teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, based on that passage, did Jesus 
give up his role as teacher and master when he washed his disciples' feet? No, he, he insists that he didn't. And see, that's what's so amazing. <laughs> that's what makes, and this, and, and of course, what he did that night, he said, to, he said to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And he wasn't talking about Peter's feet. He was talking about what he was going to do the next day when he went to the cross and died in the place of his disciples and of all whom he has redeemed and will redeem. When Jesus went to the cross, the Lord of all creation took the lowest place in all of humanity. And he did so in order to fulfill the will of his Father. He became lower than everyone. And he took our sin and the full eternal weight of our guilt onto himself and he paid that entire debt at the cross in a single day because he alone could do that. Perfect man, perfect God. His sacrifice alone could accomplish in a single day the absolute payment of an eternal of all of our eternal debts. What makes that sacrifice so beautiful is that he's the one who deserved all the glory. So who are we to think that a role of leadership is better than a role of servanthood? Why would we think that God will use us more powerfully in the lives of others if we have a place of influence and fame and fortune as the world measures such things? Why would we think that when Jesus is our example? It makes no sense. This is as counter as counter gets. It's counterintuitive. It's counterculture. It's counter to everything that you have ever been told about leadership and about significance. But this is the truth. And this is, this is what must drive how we live. It's absolutely huge. Again, Paul addresses three specific pairs of relationships that involve headship and submission, and he, he challenges both sides of each relationship to sacrificially love as he loved us. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a soothing aroma. Now I'm going to go a quick pass back through the passage and we're going to look at something that's exceedingly important. And that is that this, this imperative to love one another sacrificially in every context, in every relationship, to lay our lives down for one another, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's look at, uh, you'll see some texts that I've highlighted here. Verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, chapter 5, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Coming down a little further, verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of His body. Verse 31, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Everybody knows where that's from, right? Genesis 2. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Some of you still remember when Steve Sanchez stood up here and preached on this passage and he said this passage is about Christ and the church. The passage on wives and husbands. It's about Christ and the church. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That phrase in the Lord doesn't mean only obey your parents if they're Christians. It means obey your parents because of your union with Christ. It's talking, Paul throughout this epistle is addressing the saints. Okay. Doesn't mean all children are saved. It means he's talking to the ones who are. Okay. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And he really kicks into high gear on the connection with Christ when it comes to slaves and masters. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And finally, masters, switching to the head, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. How could Paul possibly be any clearer about the preeminence of Christ in our sacrificial love toward one another? He's said everything that can be said to make it clear. All of this points back again to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us as an offering to His Father. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're supposed to do I want to talk about pragmatism for a moment. I often say that a Christianity is not pragmatism. Pragmatism means doing something because of what it makes happen, because of the result, doing something to get a certain result. And Christians should not base their lives on getting results that we define. But here's, here's what's, really, what's really cool is that we do get to be pragmatists. But what we're supposed to be pragmatic about is we're supposed to bank on the things that God has actually promised, not the things that He hasn't. God wants us to do the things that He commands looking for certain results, but only the results that He promises. And, and too many Christians organize their lives around things they wish God had promised. 
instead of the things that he did promise. So let, let's look at, let's talk for a minute about what God has promised to do when you love your brothers and sisters sacrificially, when you lay down your life for them. Everybody will love this one. He promises that you will suffer for doing so. He promises that you will suffer for doing so because he says in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, you were called for this very purpose. And then he talks about Christ as our example. And he says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And what did he get for it? The next two verses tell us. He got nailed to a cross to bear our sins and by his wounds we are healed. So he, he laid his life down for us, trusting himself to his father, and God put our debt on him. So when you give your life up for your brother or sister in Christ, does that mean you get to expect that God's gonna, that he's gonna keep you from serious pain? No. See, God doesn't ever promise His children that He's going to keep them from serious pain and affliction and persecution and tribulation during their time on this earth under the curse. He promises the opposite. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. So, we have God's promise. We'll suffer when we lay down our lives for one another. We also have His promise that He will conform us to Christ and He will show Christ off through us. He commands us to be imitators of the living God by doing for one another what Christ did for us. And throughout all of these passages that, in which we are commanded to love one another, God says, I'll use you. I'll show you. I'll show Christ off through you. In his high priestly prayer the night before he was crucified, Jesus talked about the unity that God created between us and him and between us and us. He said, Father, I in you and they in me, perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me. That the world may know that you sent me. That means that our love for each other, our interdependent union with one another in Christ, when we build up that union, God shows Christ off to the world and the world gets to see that he's the real deal. Again, this is huge. It it should inform our whole concept of evangelism. I don't want to embarrass or anything like that, but I've been to a couple of funerals in the last several in the last couple of weeks where I knew there were some unbelievers there. And you know what I think was the very coolest thing that those unbelievers got to behold? It wasn't a message that I did or that anyone else did. It was the love of Christians for each other. God uses that so very powerfully. And so we need to be thinking about how God would have us draw unbelievers in that they might behold the unity and the love in the body of Christ. And then we also should be asking God all the time to love our brothers and sisters exceedingly well through us. God will conform us to Christ. He will display Christ through us. And as we love each other sacrificially, He will build up His church. He gives these gifts of equipping to the church and He gives gifts to every member of the body so that we will again come together in interdependence 
and we will build one another up. And the outcome will be that the church, the church attains to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. That we together become one new mature man and that man is Christ, our head. That's that's what God does in His body when we love it, when we love each other, when we lay down our lives for each other. He promises to do that. That's why He called us to do these things. It's one of the key reasons that He called us to do these things. And then here's here's the really great one. He promises that when we love each other sacrificially, when we lay down our lives for each other, He'll be delighted. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And look at the last part of it. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a soothing aroma. God says do what he did and the outcome will be a fragrant aroma to me. When we love well, when we enter into one another's sorrows, and joys, when we are in the trenches of life with each other in the body of Christ instead of just glancing off of each other on Sunday mornings, God is delighted. He is delighted. What could be better than that? That we would live in such a way that the God who sent His Son to pull us out of the darkness and bring us into the astonishing light of the living God is pleased with what we do. What could be better than that? Beloved, we must love each other exceedingly well. And we must love each other at the denial of self. We set aside our individual well-being for the sake of our brother and our sister and the bride of Christ. And we do it all the time, day after day after day. And the reason that that does not mean that our well-being gets tossed out the window is because God has that covered the whole time. Jesus kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. And although Jesus then bore the weight of our sin upon Himself, He did so For the joy set before Him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the day is going to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. He laid His life down. And He's the one who gets the glory. And when you lay your life down, He's the one that gets the glory. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters, beloved. All right, one last thing and I'll keep it quick. Our calling is our supply line for loving each other as Christ has loved us. If you go back there to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that just follows from everything else that Paul's been saying in in this letter. What did he spend the first three chapters doing? Laying in front of us the outrageous, unfathomable riches of Christ. He told us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been made children of the Most High God. We have been adopted. We've been given an inheritance. And that inheritance is a person. And the down payment of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit 
who has sealed us for the gates of heaven. And the day is going to come when God will redeem what He bought and we will stand in His presence together, beloved of God for all eternity, rejoicing and enjoying the most beautiful person in existence. And God says, okay, I gave you all that so that you might enter into the works that I prepared beforehand for you to do. I saved you by grace so that you would be my ambassadors and my agents on earth together. And in order to do that, we have to love each other. Our calling, our calling is not our commission. Our calling is not what we're supposed to do. Our calling is whose we are and what we have been given. And it is on the basis of that calling that we do what God has given us to do. And so as we go through the rest, as we go through this passage, a couple of more, this section by section, and look at these relationships in, in, in finer detail, my, my earnest desire is that we will all do that with this in mind, with this overriding, beautiful principle in mind that we are called to love each other as Christ has loved us. Then all of these things will fall into place. We won't, we won't think that being a husband is a better deal than being a wife. We won't think even that being a master is a better deal than being a servant. What we will realize is that every single opportunity that God gives us to sacrificially love one another is exalted in the eyes of God. It's the greatest privilege that we have on this earth is to love as we have been loved by our Savior. Dear Father, burn these things into our hearts. Cause us, Lord, to understand and to hear and and to humble ourselves so that, that we're willing to have our categories completely thrown out and replaced with Yours. Teach us, Father, that whether in leadership or in, in servanthood, we are all servants all the time. And our great, beautiful calling from You is to lay down our lives for one another as Christ laid down His life for us. Make us own this and delight in it, Father. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.